It's always dangerous to talk about our freedom in Christ because someone will invariably misunderstand what we're saying. But contrary to what some may think, God has not told us everything we must and must not do. And when we admit it, some accuse us of being too liberal And others accuse us of condoning the things we say belong in the realm of opinion and personal conviction. Well, I'm going to risk misunderstanding this morning because our text for today warns us not to allow anyone to push us out of what we have in Christ and back into the shadows. We're in Colossians chapter 2. Therefore... Let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are mere shadows of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Therefore, takes us back to what Paul has just said, that God has made us alive In Christ, that he canceled our debt of sin and nailed it to the cross, that he paid the price for our redemption, and that those who would point out that we've broken God's laws and must therefore personally pay the price for our sin have been disarmed. Christ has dealt with our sin. And Paul warns us not to let anyone pull us back into the shadow of legalism. Now, the mark of legalism is making judgments. And Paul says we are to let no one act as our judge, at least in regard to the things he mentions. Now, does this mean we must never allow anyone to tell us we are doing something wrong? And we should never tell anyone that what they're doing is wrong. You know, some think that's what it means. And they're quick to quote Jesus' words, Judge not, that ye be not judged. They think this means that you can't judge my behavior, and I must be blind to yours. That we should just accept each other and love each other and leave all judging to God. Now, that sounds good, but there's a problem with it. Jesus also said, if your brother sins, go and reprove him. And Matthew got all over the Corinthians for ignoring a sinful situation in the church and declared that he had judged the one who committed the sin and that they were to clean the leaven out that was affecting the whole lump. So which is it? Do we judge or don't we judge? Well, it depends on your definition of judging. If by judging you mean taking a God-given standard and applying it to a situation to see if it measures up, then we are to judge. God has revealed some things. And he has told us that some things are always wrong. 
So we do have an obligation to confront a brother if he's sinning against the absolutes of God. We're to try to restore him to a life of obedience. And James tells us that if we turn him from the error of his ways, we've saved his soul from death. So, yes, if God has spoken on a matter, we are to judge with regard to that matter and point out sin when we see it. But if you mean by judging, trying to force someone to accept your opinions and conclusions and condemning him if he does not, then no, we're not to judge. Paul made it very clear in the 14th chapter of Romans that we are not to pass judgment on anyone's convictions in matters of opinion. He says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So that each one of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Now, that's the same thing Paul is talking about here in Colossians, about acting as judge in regard to food and drink and festivals and new moons and Sabbaths. These are to be matters of opinion and are to be left in the realm of liberty. To formulate a standard on these things and to impose it on others is wrong. Trying to force others to adhere to our convictions on these things is legalism. And legalism reduces Christianity to an ever-growing list of rules and regulations. It makes spirituality something that is measured with an ever-changing and an ever-more-restrictive yardstick that robs us of our freedom. And it ignores the fact that Christianity is built on a relationship with Christ, not on conforming to a set of external rules and regulations. So we must not allow ourselves to be pushed back into the shadows of legalistic restrictions. 
And Paul gave us a couple of examples of such restrictions. He first notes that we are to let no one act as our judge in regard to food and drink. Apparently, some in Colossae were insisting that if you were a good Christian, there were certain things you should not eat or drink. And I'm sure they had a list of what was and what wasn't acceptable. Maybe their list was simply the Old Testament list of clean and unclean foods. And God did make restrictions on what the Israelites could eat. He specified certain things that they were to avoid. Why they weren't to eat pork chops and catfish, I don't know. Perhaps God was simply trying to teach Israel to be different, to be distinct from the unholy nations around them. Maybe there were health reasons. Whatever his reasons, they did have dietary restrictions in the Old Testament. But those restrictions were pretty much done away with in the New Testament. Jesus said it's not what goes in a man that defiles him, but what comes out. And Peter was given a vision of all kinds of animals, clean and unclean, and told to eat. What God had cleansed, he was told, no longer consider unholy. Now, the primary purpose for his vision was to make it clear that God wanted all nations evangelized. No one was to be considered unfit to hear the gospel. But the vision also made it clear that dietary restrictions were lifted. The voice Peter heard said, kill and eat. Apparently, the restrictions had accomplished the purpose for which God had ordained them. Some in Colossae were trying to put them back in place, no doubt because they seemed to them to be very religious. In response to that, Paul said, let no man act as your judge in regard to food. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't choose to restrict your diet. You may decide that some things aren't good for you. And you may have strong convictions about it. You may think sugar is a poison and red meats are deadly. And you may wish to share your opinions with others. But you cannot condemn them if they choose to disregard your opinions. And you might voluntarily give up something because it's offensive to your brother or causes him problems. You know, Gentile Christians agreed not to eat meat that had been strangled because it was very offensive to Jews, or meat that had been offered to idols because it might be misunderstood by pagans to be an act of worship. Paul even went so far as to say that if food caused a brother to stumble, he would never eat meat again. And consideration of others should lead us to set limits on our liberties. But we cannot legislate our opinions, and look down our noses on those who choose to do otherwise. We can't suggest that if someone was as good a Christian as we are or loved their brother as much as we do, they would do as we do. Obviously, that's not something we should ever say to anyone about anything. But we shouldn't even think it with regard to externals. 
like food and drink. And to be quite honest, I do have to be careful about the second half of that. Because what you eat doesn't bother me nearly as much as what you might drink. I think most of you know how I feel about alcohol. And I have to admit that it makes me a little nervous to read, let no one act as your judge in regard to drink. It's not a verse I would post on my fridge or pass out at the corner tavern. And I don't think Paul is saying we shouldn't be concerned about drinking or that he's condoning alcoholism. You know, drunkenness is condemned in both the Old and the New Testaments. We're commanded not to get drunk. And Paul makes it clear that those who practice the deeds of the flesh, which include drunkenness, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Substance abuse is condemned in Scripture. No question. But liberty is given in the matter of moderate use of alcohol, even though I hate to admit it. The psalmist thanked God for wine, which makes man's heart glad. And Timothy was told to take a little wine for his stomach's sake. Having said that, however, we should note that the scriptures are also filled with warnings about the use of alcohol. And we are told that while all things are lawful, not all things are profitable. And we are to be mastered by nothing. Statistics show that one in ten who drink will be mastered by it. They will become alcoholics. I know this to be true. We experience it in our own extended family. So it may be wise to avoid it. If not for your own sake, because you may be able to handle it for the sake of your brother who might not be able to and might be mastered by it. And when Paul said we should be willing to give up anything that might cause our brother to stumble, he specifically mentioned drinking wine. So abstinence may be the best policy. Another thing to consider is that the priests were ordered not to drink wine or strong drink when serving in the temple. Kings and rulers are warned not to drink when making decisions, and elders are told not to be identified with wine. So it appears to me that those who would be of the most service to God and man would do well to abstain from the use of alcohol. That's my conviction. But I cannot judge you in the matter of drink if what you're doing does not violate the commands of God. Abstinence may be the best policy, but it cannot become a test of fellowship or a gauge of spirituality. To allow it to do so is to step back into the shadows of legalistic restrictions, and that violates our freedom in Christ. Something no one has the right to take away from us. Therefore, 
Let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Not only can legalism be found in restrictions, it can also be found in religious observances. Now, the Jews had numerous festivals and celebrations and religious observances. Passover, first fruits, Pentecost, Day of Atonement, and Feast of Tabernacles were a few of their annual observances. They also celebrated each new moon with special sacrifices and set aside the Sabbath as a weekly day of rest. And those things weren't bad. In fact, God had ordained them all. However, the Jews eventually lost sight of the purpose for the observances and started just going through the motions thinking that's all God wanted. But it got so bad that Isaiah finally told them just to quit. That God was sick of their sacrifices and wearied by their feasts and festivals. And, of course, I'm sure you remember how Jesus came into conflict with the Pharisees over the Sabbath. And he tried to explain the Sabbath was given to man for man's benefit, not man for the Sabbath to become some horrendous burden on him. But the Jews had pretty much turned their religious observances into meaningless rituals and burdensome obligations, and that obviously was not God's intent. He had ordained them to help his people remember his involvement in their history and to prepare them for what was coming. He never intended for them to become religious ends in themselves. (coughs) And... When they were fulfilled in Christ, they became optional. The Jewish Christians continued them for cultural and traditional purposes, but Gentiles weren't expected to follow a religious calendar or observe holy days that had little meaning for them. And they weren't to be considered less religious because they didn't observe the feasts and new moons. Some, however, were making them into tests of fellowship and imposing them on everyone. They taught that good Christians would observe all those things and that to be seen as religious, they would have to do the things that looked religious. Paul indicates that is nonsense. It's nonsense. If you want to set aside special days and you do so out of love for the Lord, fine. But don't judge your brother who views every day the same, sees them all as gifts from God, and finds in them all opportunities for service and worship. I think this speaks to our celebrations of Christmas and Easter and liturgical calendars and the making of Sunday into a Sabbath day of rest. If you find these things helpful in your walk with Christ, fine. Observe them, but do not stand in judgment of someone who chooses not to observe them or celebrates them differently than you do. All these things, Paul says, are mere shadows of what's to come. Laws, restrictions, observances, they were all intended to point us 
to Christ. They're not to overshadow Him. They served their purpose before He came, and some of them can serve a purpose today as we await His return. But we must not allow any of these things to become the focus of our religious experience, nor the yardstick by which we judge our brothers. To do so is to go back into the shadows of legalism and to ignore the light that came in Christ. As Paul said in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Don't let anyone rob you of your freedom in Christ by acting as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Establish a relationship with the risen Son of God and let Him deal with your heart on matters of opinion. Come to know Jesus. Let him take you from bondage and sorrow and night into freedom, gladness, and light. And you will be out of the shadows. Let's celebrate our life in Christ this morning. Let's stand.